I absolutely believe we have a perception challenge. And it really sort of originated with this idea of the hacker in a hoodie, right? Mm -hmm. Who can crack a password in eight seconds and have time to spare for a Red Bull. In order to really function at a horizontal end-to-end -end business level, you need risk management knowledge. You need financial acumen. You need the ability to have a conversation in business language. It, it's. It's really exciting, I think, because this need is really there and it's a great intersection with the fact that the maturation of the subject is coinciding so nicely with the fact that we need so much and we really need different. Hello everyone, I'm Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA, and thanks for tuning in to The Optimistic Outlook. One thing I like to say is that technology is only as powerful as the people behind it. And here's why I say this. You know, we go back to the last decade. What we experienced was a digital revolution that connected people. We all experienced digital transformation in our personal lives in terms of how we communicate, shop, work, or access entertainment. Related to that, we also saw the rise of platform business models that have upended sectors such as media, retail, and IT. But now, this is the moment for industry and infrastructure. This is the decade of people connecting things. And thinking about people using digital tools to remake manufacturing, energy, mobility, and healthcare, and in the process being able to address some of the biggest challenges we face as a society. Yet, here's a question. Where are the people? We learned in a recent episode that U.S. manufacturing has more than 800,000 job openings. The industry we'll discuss today, cybersecurity, has 359,000 open positions. With me today to explore this is Joanna Berkey. She's a former colleague of mine at Siemens and now the Chief Information Security Officer at Hewlett-Packard, commonly shortened to HP. I wanted to have Joanna on for a couple reasons. She comes from a technical background and has chosen to focus on cybersecurity throughout her career. So she demonstrates the full range of possibilities for cybersecurity careers today. Joanna has also emerged as a leader for how we can embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion as a business imperative to attract and develop the, the talent that we need to build the cyber workforce. Take a listen. Joanna, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Barbara. Well, we're recording this at the beginning of Cybersecurity Month, and we're here to apply an optimistic outlook toward a pretty daunting challenge, which is figuring out how to grow our overall cybersecurity workforce in the U.S. by roughly 40% to meet demand. And I'm wondering, as we start out, what can we learn from your own career path, Joanna? Tell us what led you to pursue a career in cybersecurity. You know, my, my short answer to that is that I was very fortunate because I rather fell into cyber. I was a computer science math university student, and I started my career as a software engineer. In the late 90s, I was seduced by the lure of the startup culture, like so many others back then. And in my short journey around a few startups, I began to work for one who was working in cybersecurity. And it was a revelation to me what an interesting area it was. I've never left. I've had a broad variety of roles in cyber, but I've never left the topic. Well, I want to pick up on something you just said, which is that you started out in software engineering, but not in cybersecurity. 
And you made an interesting point in an article I read recently that you wrote that people aren't necessarily seeing the whole picture of available opportunities in cybersecurity. In fact, you wrote that highly technical roles make up less than a third of a healthy cybersecurity organization. We discussed recently how manufacturing careers face a perception challenge. Does cybersecurity face one as well? Yes, I absolutely believe we have a perception challenge. And it really sort of originated with this idea of the hacker in a hoodie, right? Mm -hmm. Who can crack a password in eight seconds and have time to spare for a Red Bull. And it's absolutely true that, that these sorts of roles, highly technical, highly knowledgeable, are a key part to a healthy organization. But there's this idea now that you're either sort of in or you're out. You either have that or you don't belong in cyber. And, you know, we haven't quite gotten to the place where we have secret handshakes, but there's a lot of specificity of expertise. And I think that can really be intimidating when that's the only part of the subject that people see. I love it. Yeah. So let's get real. Then what are the skills, the experiences and backgrounds that really are most in demand right now in the cybersecurity industry? I love talking about this part because I think this is the beautiful part of the evolution of cyber. As cybersecurity really as a domain is maturing, for a long time, it was very much treated as a technical silo. People thought of it as a technical silo. Cyber is really a strategic horizontal. And as that is becoming more acknowledged and more embedded and systemic in corporations, it opens up visibility into all kinds of skills that cyber needs. You know, in order to really function at a horizontal end-to-end business level, you need risk management knowledge. You need financial acumen. You need the ability to have a conversation in business language. it's, It's really exciting, I think, because this need is really there. And it's a great intersection with the fact that the maturation of the subject is coinciding so nicely with the fact that we need so much. And we really need different. That's right. And we're going to then need to network everywhere across the organization. That means we really have to expand the ways we're bringing talent into the organization. It's not just about a pipeline of talent coming out of schools as people enter the workforce. It's also encouraging people at various stages of their careers to apply themselves in the field. How do you see it and what actions are you taking? That is a very, very pertinent observation. I couldn't agree with it more. And I I think, you know, if you look back at some of the skills I mentioned a moment ago, financial acumen, risk management knowledge. Let's add in their service management, customer relations, marketing and communications. We need all those things in cyber. And the wonderful thing is there are a lot of mid and late career professionals out there that don't want to leave the workforce yet, but they might be looking for something new. Or they might be needing to find a new area due to changes in in their own professional landscape. I think it's an incredible confluence to acknowledge that there's a lot of knowledge and expertise out there that benefits cybersecurity programs. And oftentimes, in my experience, a lot of this knowledge is actually longer and harder to learn than learning the basics of cyber. I have had some success at HP by focusing more on internal movement on lateral rotations and looking for people who are mid to late in their career, but they're interested in cyber. I know they can learn 
the parts of cyber that are needed. And it's really all these other skills that they're bringing to the table that number one, we need going back to how, you know, cyber really is more strategic than we used to be. But number two, we not only need the skills, we have such a gap that we need the people. And again, I love, I I come across the word confluence constantly as I talk about this case right now, because we really were seeing so many changes in the workforce landscape and so many opportunities in cyber that I think if we look with that wider lens, we can really find really good synergies there. All this talk about our careers and and helping the careers of others really has me remembering back to my early days because I, too, started by studying math and a little bit of computer science. I took the one computer programming course that was offered at the time and at Wake Forest University. Um, But but the interesting thing about it is that my career branched off into management. I loved managing projects and I loved being the spokesperson for the team, helping to resolve major roadblocks, et cetera. And, and you've got me thinking about what is that set of skills? I recently heard them referred to as durable skills. You know, those skills that you learn along the way that kind of go with you wherever you go. And you may learn new technical things. Let's just brainstorm for a minute about what are the kind of durable skills people can bring from whatever line of work they're in today into the cybersecurity field. There is one durable skill that I look for a lot, and I've noticed that it now interweaves its way in when I interview people. And it's it's the concept really of soft power. How does someone lead without authority? How do they manage stakeholders? A lot of what we have to do in cyber is influencing hearts and minds. You know, we don't get strong, resilient cyber strategies by banging the hammer on the table. That's one I think can carry people a long way no matter what they do, but especially in this field. You know, it's interesting because you introduced me to our current CISO at um, Siemens. Um, When you were in your Siemens global role uh, and we needed to fill the U.S. role, you told me about Kurt John. And of course, his background is in consulting. Mm -hmm. And he had just come to us out of the Siemens audit function. And what I found is that he's been very effective at building a network. And that's powerful because this idea, I mean, very much like the computer systems we're building today, they're networked, not hierarchical. They Mm -hmm. work in many, many interactions. And so you can't find a central point of command and control. I think what I hear you saying is that ability to lead without authority, that ability to build networks and influence is, is actually an important skill. Yeah, Barbara, that point about networking brought something to my mind that's a resource I ran across years ago and I still use a lot. And I know you're familiar with it, is General Stanley McChrystal's book on Team of Teams. A lot of the concepts in that book, even though they originated with America's initial struggle over in the Gulf in a military standpoint, a lot of the points in there to me about how the world works in a networking way, we don't work so much in a hierarchical way anymore. We see how social media has influenced that. Agile ways of working, I think, pull a lot of those concepts in. There's a lot to that ability to work within teams that are self-forming, that are that morph day to day and that form themselves around the mission and the need at a given time. There's a lot of parallel in that to cyber as well. 
What we do on a day-to-day basis may change due to an incident. It may change due to an evolution in the threat landscape. So not only do I kind of look for folks who understand influence and stakeholder management, but can also work in a bit of that ambiguity. People who can recognize challenges, move to where that challenge is. I I recognize that agility and learning is a key part of this. I'm curious, Joanna, tell me something that you and your teams have to focus on today that you didn't have to focus on maybe even as recently as three years ago. Is there is is the is the environment actually changing that much? It is the life cycle of software and how software from its creation to compilation and building to distribution to utilization and update at the customer and then eventual retirement, that whole life cycle of software has a lot of complexity in it. And attackers are targeting that complexity with successful results. That is not something that I ever thought I would think about three years ago. I wouldn't have seen that one. So that ability for an organization to see it, to recognize it, to assess the risk, maybe in a corporation where that's not as big of a risk, and then have that ability to be agile and pull it into the strategy. It's a huge part of cyber. And, and you know, I'd love to know in 18 months, what am I going to look at and think, well, I didn't see that one coming because I know there's going to be one. <laughs> if only we could predict it. <laughs> Now, hey, one of the other aspects of this is we need to recognize it's not just a skills gap. We often hear it's it's a representation gap and, and often it's even an opportunity gap. In fact, let me just share some stats with our listeners. Research published by the Aspen Institute just last month found that only 4% of cybersecurity workers self-identify as Hispanic, only 9% as Black, and only 24% as women. Joanna, help me solve this. How do we effectively leverage diversity, equity, and inclusion as a business priority for cybersecurity? It's such a relevant area and so important these days as a real focus for a lot of CISOs like myself. I really look at it and I frame it in my organization in two different ways. Personally, I believe that greater inclusion and strong DEI efforts are a moral imperative. Some people may feel that way, others don't. I think regardless, we can agree that it's good business sense. A diverse organization is going to have better problem-solving capabilities. They're going to pull from more tools to get the job done, have more perspectives in the room. And if you look at cyber, of all things, we have attackers coming from every culture, every part of the globe. We must have a diverse viewpoint on how we need to protect against attackers. So it only makes good business sense. And I think regardless, you know, we we see a lot of corporations who have great aspirations in this case. We've especially seen a lot of positive movement in the last 18 months with a greater focus on DE&I. Where I think, you know, we see a lot of people starting to stumble now is we must link those aspirations and those goals to our tactical incremental outcomes. This is where we've really focused internally at HP and in my own org in the last months. We are beginning to tie incentives around the ENI to actual comp. HP has announced publicly in the last year that many of our senior executives have incentives tied to this now. But we're also setting up small focused projects to do things like assess the partners, 
that we work with and what is their diversity footprint so that we can really move the needle here in a lot of places, not only make it a recruiting focus, but really look at it holistically as a business problem. Yeah, I mean, we can start with the business imperative just in this war for talent. As we go through a phase when we know things are expanding rapidly, particularly on the digital end, we know we have to be building these workforces. Well, you know, why would we only recruit from a portion of the population? It's it's key that we draw talent in. And at HP, we've really learned some interesting things the last year and a half as we've really strengthened this focus on DE&I. And one thing that we learned is that our approach has to be multi-pronged. I mentioned a while ago that it's important to have tactical outcomes, and it's important to treat this like a project, not just a a 10-year mission. And within that, we've really learned that we are starting to move the needle and make strides when we focus on three separate areas. One area is, of course, really young talent. I'm proud to see what HP does in order to enable Black Girls Code and the Grace Hopper Society uh, with both, you know, not only financial support, but also subject matter expertise and mentoring. We also look, of course, at this area of late high school university cohort possibilities. I believe strongly, like you mentioned, Barbara, in the question, a lot of this is, is bringing the opportunity to the talent. There is good talent out there. We don't always have the frameworks that bring the opportunity to where people are, especially non-traditional people, non-traditionally degreed folks, people coming from a different spot in their career. So for the university cohort, we're focusing on standing up scholarships. I'm really excited that in the last two years, we've stood up female and or cybersecurity specific scholarships at the University of Queensland, Australia. And at Prairie View A&M, which is an HBCU in my neighborhood that's close to my heart. But third, and coming back a little bit to something we talked a while ago, we are strengthening this focus on the mid to late career as well. And a lot of that is internal efforts. And I think that is a, a concept and a template that a lot of corporations can adopt because we're all going through some amount of transformation. And with that transformation comes change and change for people. It's a great time to look at that area. Well, so Joanna, in addition to formal programs, what other pathways are there for people to get engaged in the discipline? There are, there are various pathways out there, I think, suitable for different skill levels, different goals. One of the obvious ones that will always be there is the certifications that are available in cyber. Some of these certifications really do, especially for folks that don't have a lot of cyber knowledge already, give a good broad overview. Things like CISSP, CISM, these are great ways to, especially if you're further along in your career, indicate that you've got some knowledge, have a little bit of foot in the door. I don't think though that everyone has to chase the certifications. There are really good trainings out there offered all the way from the SANS Institute to even trainings on LinkedIn and some of the online free learning houses. I highly recommend some of these. And in fact, if you do a little bit of searching around for different aspects of cyber, search for governance, risk management, pen testing, there's a lot of results out there and a lot of forums that can help guide you. I always recommend that people find the local B-sites wherever they live. B-Sides is a very informal community of cyber folks, all the way from amateur to pro and beyond. 
generally great, helpful groups of people that work in all areas of cyber. So really, there's a lot of communities out there to tap into. So no one really needs to feel like all the burden is on them to find the resources and to do the resources. Plug into a few of these relationships and learn via that mechanism as well. So we've learned a lot at HP on what here is working and what isn't. And I feel so incredibly blessed, again, to have gone from one socially responsible corporation to another. And it, it's really fulfilling and it helps so much on a daily basis to have that purpose in addition to the broader purpose of cyber overall. HP is lucky to have you. But hey, let me end with one final question that I like to wrap up each episode with. If we're able to attract nearly 360,000 people into cybersecurity, this 40% increase, and develop the talent, paint us a picture of how this positively impacts our future. How does it make our digital world more secure? And how does it benefit society? You know, as I think about the digital world, fundamentally, it's interconnectedness in all kinds of ways, ways that we can predict today, but are not exactly real. And I think ways that we're not even yet predicting. So in that world, cybersecurity isn't something that's only important on airplanes and space shuttles. You know, you think about sending your child to a connected school and maybe your elderly parent has or utilizes a self-driving car to have confidence in the security of the things that surround every citizen on a daily basis I think there can hardly be anything more exciting and more optimistic than imagining a world where society can really utilize all these benefits of technology and these benefits of interconnectedness in a way where they don't have to worry. They are kept secure, hopefully transparently even to them. And to see that society be able to function with hope instead of fear is just incredibly compelling to me almost have chills. I can hardly think of anything more optimistic than that. Me either. And we've talked about so much about the technologies that are coming to be able to look forward to those with hope and not fear. That's the idea I'll be holding in my, in my mind as we begin to shape our way into this future you've painted for us. Joanna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Barbara. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. So as we discuss this topic on the podcast, I think we're seeing some common themes. One, there's a perception challenge. In manufacturing, people aren't always seeing it as a high-tech industry that provides a platform to use digital tools and innovate. In cyber, there's a perception that the only roles are highly technical and that there isn't much room for career advancement. Two, we need to continue demonstrating to people at all stages of their careers in education that there are multiple on-ramps to these opportunities. Whether you're fresh out of high school, well-established in a different field, looking for a higher paying job, or eager to re-enter the workforce. I know that my optimistic outlook is a decade in which we build this next generation workforce, working together across business, government, and education. What I see are industries that are transformed, millions more people with high-paying, purpose-driven careers, and infrastructure as a result that's smarter, more sustainable, and yes, safer and more secure. So I hope you'll now go to your show notes for more resources, and I thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or to the Siemens YouTube channel. 
And for show notes and more, go to Siemens.com optimist.